All right, let me, uh, let me open us with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you for the privilege of gathering as a body of Christ to worship you in corporate worship. And uh, we just thank you for uh, this uh, Christmas season that we're coming through and uh, the opportunity we had to particularly pause and remember that part of your great plan of salvation, which involved the, the incarnation of Christ, uh, Christ coming to the earth as a little baby, as a uh, as a man and living that sinless life and dying on the cross for our sins. And we thank you for all that, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity we had to uh, celebrate the Incarnation. Uh, we also thank you, Lord, for the many, many blessings that you showered on each and every one of us during uh, 2023. We thank you for uh, this year uh, that's, that's passing now, and we thank you for uh, the opportunities that you'll give us in 2024 to serve you. Uh, we ask, Lord, that uh, through your Holy Spirit you would uh, equip each and every one of us, uh, as you always do, uh, for the work of service, uh, to serve one another and bring glory to your name. We pray that that would be uh, our mission in 2024. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word that we're about to open now. We pray, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and minds so that we would really be able to understand what you're trying to teach us from your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, part 18. Um, this is a 39-part series as we walk through uh, the book of Revelation. So we're, we're coming close to the halfway point uh, of our study of the book. Um, so this part 18, we're going to start into, the, we're going to open the seventh seal, and then we're going to start into the trumpet judgments. We're going to do the first four of those seven trumpets. So the seventh seal, when we open the seventh seal, we'll see silence first, we'll see then sounding, we'll see supplication, and we'll see a storm break across the earth. And then we'll get the first four trumpets, and those trumpets will bring hail and fire and blood, and then a fiery mountain into the sea, and then a star falling on the rivers, and then the sun, moon, and stars turning dark. And so things are getting worse, worse and worse and worse. We've had seven seals, um, and the seal judgments, six seal judgments, uh, have been bad, progressively worse and worse for, for people that are living during that time of the tribulation. But now it gets worse. The trumpets will be worse than the seals, and then the bowls will be worse than the trumpets. Uh, the seventh seal contains the seventh tr seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet will contain the seven bowls. So the seven bowls will be the worst of all. But first, let's do a little review. So uh, my thanks to uh, Larry for stepping up to teach last time. Uh, we'll walk through a little bit. I'll just do a little review, and if you have any remaining questions, I'll answer those as well. So we did the second half. Larry did the second half of the chapter 7 last time. And so we saw um, a great multitude. So the first half of chapter 7, you had the 144,000. Those were particular Jewish witnesses. Uh, uh, that we're going to that are going to be witnesses, as we'll see during the the great tribulation, um, and now we see this great multitude. 
here in the second half. They're clothed in white robes. Uh, it's a vast crowd of victorious, joyous saints standing before the throne. The lamb is also there. They have palm branches in their hands, symbolizing celebration, deliverance, and joy. Uh, they cry out with a loud voice. Um, they're standing... They're... Uh, uh, they're the, the first group identified along with this vast multitude is all the angels. They're also standing around the throne. And there's also elders and four living creatures. So there's this big group that are around the throne. Uh, the 24 elders, as we talked about before, represent the raptured church. Uh, the four living creatures are cherubim, an exalted order of angels. Uh, we, we, we discussed those four living creatures before, and we discussed the reason why um, we think that they're actually cherubim is because as we saw there's a passage in Ezekiel that goes into great detail about these four living creatures, these same four living creatures and in the Ezekiel passage it specifically says that they're cherubim it doesn't specifically say that here in Revelation but in the Ezekiel passage it does um, okay and then we have this uh, the reaction, what's the, the appropriate reaction of all creation is to prostrate, prostrate themselves before the presence of the living God and they give this prayer, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. This great multitude. Um, and then there's this curious little interaction where John, uh, or so this, um, um, there's one of the elders, one of the 24 elders comes up to John and says, hey, who are these guys over here? Who are this great multitude? And John's perplexed. He's bewildered. Why are you asking me? He says, my Lord, you know. Um, and so he shows great respect to one of these elders. Curios, the Greek word he uses, it doesn't, doesn't mean he's, uh, uh, he's uh, imputing deity to him. It's just a, a term of respect. He says, well, you know, uh, you know I, I'm, just, uh, I'm just a guy here. You, you must know. Um, and so the elder says, these are the ones who come out of the Great Tribulation, uh, referencing Jesus uh, from Matthew 24. Um, and so this term, Great Tribulation, it, it applies to these future events, which we're about to see. It's the Great Tribulation is the second half of the seven-year tribulation period, uh, which, which is starting to unroll. It starts to unfold during the sixth seal, and then the, it really unfolds during the, uh, these, the seventh seal that we'll see, the trumpets and the bowls. Um, and so that's who these saints, that's who this elder says these, this vast multitude are. They're clothed in white robes. Uh, they have washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. And so that means they're believers. They're, they're, these white robes are because they've been washed white with the blood of the, the Lamb. Um, and they're before the throne. Um, they're in the presence of God. They serve Him day and night. Um, so they will enjoy the eternal presence of the Lamb in the center of the throne. He's their shepherd. He's their guide. He guides them to springs of eternal uh, water of life. Um, and wipe away every tear from their eyes. And we see that language repeated again after Christ comes in, in uh, Revelation 21. Same, wipe away every tear from their eyes. Uh, so, uh, any questions about the, this vast multitude? Is everybody clear who they are? 
So we went through last time who they are. Everybody knows who, the, who these are. They're separate from the 144,000. Those are particular uh, Jewish believers that are going to be witnesses during the second half of the Great Tribulation. So this great multitude is from every tribe and tongue and language and nation, Gentile and Jewish believers that have come out of the Tribulation period. Uh, they're coming out from the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation starting really during the Sixth Seal. Uh, so they're not going to experience on the earth the Great Tribulation. They're coming out from that. And there's a vast multitude of these believers that have died during the first six seals. Seals. They've died during the first. Some of them may be martyrs. We saw the martyr group of them in, in Revelation chapter 6, but it's all the, those who have died during the, the, the first six seals. Could be martyrs, but it doesn't have to be martyrs. It's all the ones that came out of the, uh, those first six seals. Um, okay, uh, so everybody clear on what we've seen so far? So this little interlude in chapter 7, 144,000, and this great multitude we see, uh, that's after the sixth seal, but before the seventh seal. So here in chapter 8, we're about to, uh, the Lamb is about to open the seventh seal. And we'll see what happens there. Uh, so here we have the seventh seal. We get divine destruction, and we get the first four trumpets. And so, uh, as I said, this, the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. And we'll see that the seventh trumpet contains the seven bowls. Uh, so we're going to do the first half, uh, actually we're going to do all of uh, the entire chapter uh, 8 today. So Revelation chapter 8, if you'll open your Bibles, open your Bibles or your devices to Revelation chapter 8 and read along with me. <clears throat> so this is the word of the Lord. Revelation chapter 8, beginning at the beginning, verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. For about half an hour. And I saw the, the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded... And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died." And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the waters. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter." The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, 
so the third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So, this is getting worse. It's getting really dire. So we've had um, this increasing crescendo of wrath poured out on the earth from God in these seals and now the seventh seal is open and the seventh seals seventh seal contains these trumpet judgments and these trumpet judgments are worse things are getting worse worse and worse and worse and worse and at the very end we hear we have this um, um, this uh, eagle flying in mid-heaven saying, hey, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. No matter how bad you think it is now, it's going to get worse. Yikes. So um, so that's our passage today, and I want to read just a little bit of uh, John MacArthur again. As he, um, he summarizes these, uh, these verses here, in his commentary. So MacArthur says this, When the Lamb opens the seventh and last seal in the little scroll that was the title deed to earth, the judgments of the day of the Lord will intensify and expand dramatically. The final seal contains within it the full sweep of the remaining divine judgments of the time of the Great Tribulation, including the trumpet and bowl judgments. That the seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments seems clear, since there is no description of judgment in the seventh seal. But in Anticipation of severe judgment followed immediately in the text by the seven trumpet judgments. In a similar matter, the seventh trumpet does not describe a judgment, but rather contains the anticipation of heavenly rejoicing over the judgment to come, which will lead to the final destruction and establishment of the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. As chapter 10, verse 7 indicates, the seventh trumpet is the finish, and it contains the seven bowls. Chapter 15, verse 1 makes clear that the seventh trumpet, which finishes the work of judgment, contains the final fury of God's wrath, which the pouring out of the seven plague judgments pictures. When I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Chapter 16, verse 1 identifies these seven plagues as seven bowls of the wrath of God. They are then described in detail in the remainder of chapter 16. The progressive judgments within the seventh seal will take place over an indefinite period of time. The effects of the fifth trumpet, for example, will last five months. We see that in chapter 9. While the exact timetable for the trumpet and bowl judgments is not revealed, their escalating devastation indicates that they will all, they all occur during the last half of the tribulation. Therefore, the seventh seal encompasses all of God's final wrath up to the triumphant return of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. So the seventh seal is going to work itself out in the seven trumpets. Seventh trumpet works itself out in the seven bowls. And then the wrath of God is finished. And we have the return of Christ. 
Okay, um, and then uh, MacArthur goes on to say, as the time of the trumpet judgments to begin approaches, the world will have already experienced for years the frightening and relentless reality of God's wrath, about three and a half years into this now. As the seven-year tribulation period unfolds, there will be wars and famines and plagues and devastating earthquakes and fiery celestial objects smashing into the earth and a worldwide reign of terror by the Antichrist. That's all already happened, but the trumpet judgments will be even worse. So horrifying are the trumpet and bull judgments contained within the seventh seal that its opening stuns the heavenly host of angels and redeem people into silence. The first four trumpets are described in a brief and straightforward manner. Far more detail is given about the last three. So we're just going to do the first four this week. The first four trumpets all deal directly with the earth. They do not symbolize political, social, or economic judgment. These type of judgments come later in Revelation. Nor do they describe any judgment that has ever happened in history in some locale or region. The trumpet judgments are actual, literal, physical events that will affect the whole earth. God will use nature to punish sinners in that day. The partial destruction described by the repeated use of the word third, one-third, in each of the first four trumpet judgments indicates that these are not the final judgments, that there's more to come. And we see that specifically with the eagle saying, hey, it's going to get worse. Uh, so the, the, the fact that it's only a third means that there's more to come. So that's uh, MacArthur. So uh, these first four trumpets, we have a first trumpet, hail, fire, and blood. We have a second with the fiery mountain to the sea. We have the third with the stars falling on the rivers, uh, this particular star. And then the fourth, uh, the trumpet is a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. So let's take a look at the details. Let's go verse by verse through this. So back to verse 1 and 2. So the, the breaking of the seventh seal. So <clears throat> when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Um, it, it's a long time to maintain silence. Uh, if you, if you want to try that sometime, uh, <laughs> just see if you can maintain absolute silence for 30 minutes. Uh, no little ding from your phone, um, no, nothing, nothing whatsoever, 30 minutes of complete silence. It's kind of a long time to have complete silence, yeah. So uh, this is a unique thing because there's been sound all throughout this vision. There's always somebody talking or somebody praising, um, loud sounds all the time. Uh, so the review of the visions up to this point, he's heard a good deal of noise in heaven. John has. There's been, always been sound. Um, and so we had, all, up to this point, we have all these sounds. Uh, in chapter 4, for example, emanating from God's throne were sounds and peals of thunder. Um, the four living creatures did not cease saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, the 24 elders added their song of praise. Um, in chapter 5, uh, we have this the angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to open. Uh, we have um, the first four living creatures and the 24 elders and then the host of angels in chapter 5 with their pro proclamation um, of um, God's holiness. The, the praise of unending praise, is that's noise. There's lots of, of loud noise associated with all of these visions up to this point. And then silence. After all that loudness, you know, the fury of the final judgments is about to be released, we get silence falling in heaven. All of those multitude of angels, all those multitude of saints, 
the 24 elders, the living creatures, all of them have been making this huge amount of noise of praising the Lord, and then they see this seventh seal opened, and they see these judgments that are about to be poured out, and it stuns everybody into silence for 30 minutes. So uh, we have the seventh seal broken, scroll unrolled, the redeemed and the angels fall silent, anticipating this destruction. Half an hour of silence is a kind of a calm, <coughs> excuse me, a calm before the storm. Uh, silence before uh, foreboding, before the intense expectation and awe of what God's about to do. Uh, so silence is the only proper response to this divine judgment. We have other places in Scripture. We have this uh, same kind of theme, Psalm 76. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment. Habakkuk 2, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Be silent before the Lord, said Zephaniah in Zephaniah 1. For the Lord, the day of the Lord is near. Uh, Zechariah 2.13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So silence prior to God's wrath and judgment, uh, we've seen this before in scripture. Uh, Psalm, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Uh, so there's no time in heaven. Uh, God is outside of time. Uh, but the Apostle John, of course, who's seeing the vision, he's... He is uh, uh, subject to time, and so 30 minutes is for John's benefit and ours. Um, it must have seemed like forever for John. Uh, he's waiting and waiting and waiting. The seventh seal is broken. He's watching this vision, and all there is is silence for 30 minutes in his vision as he's watching this uh, unfold. Um, after he's seen loud praises and noises and all this sort of thing, all of a sudden there's silence and nothing's happening. For a minute, as the minutes tick by, he's watching a vision of nothing, nothing but silence. Um, and so then we have the hour of God's final judgment coming. The saints will be vindicated, sin punished, Satan vanquished, Christ exalted. All that's going to unfold here in these trumpet and bowl judgments during the three, uh, the last uh, part, the last half of the tribulation, the great tribulation. And so there's some, some, some suspense in heaven before that happens. And then following that half hour of silence, he experiences a new feature of this seventh seal, namely the seven angels who stand before God. So there's a definite article here. It's not just seven angels, it's the seven angels. Um, and that sets them apart as a unique group. It's not just seven angels, it's the seven angels, uh, sometimes referred to as the presence angels. It's the seven angels who stand before God. Um, and as John watches, uh, seven trumpets are given to these seven angels in preparation for the trumpet judgments, which are about what we're about to see. Um, and there's, of course, with the seven with the seal judgments we've seen up to this point, uh, there's angels involved. Um, there are angels involved with these trumpet judgments. We'll see in chapter 16 that there are angels involved in the bold judgments. And so angels participate in God's judgments here throughout. Seals, trumpets, and bowls. Uh, consistent with what Jesus taught. Uh, Jesus taught in Matthew 13, um, Matthew 16, Matthew 25 that angels would take part in God's judgments. Uh, each of the seven tr trumpets will unleash a specific judgment of greater intensity than the, f the six seal judgments, uh, but not as destructive as the seven bowls that we'll see. So we get this progressive 
pouring out of God's wrath and judgment, which gets worse and worse and worse and worse, and that's a constant theme here. Um, and it's really uh, emphasized at the very end of chapter 8 with this eagle, saying, hey, these seven trumpets have been really, really bad, but it's getting worse. It's going to be worse when the final three trumpets blow. Uh, the first four trumpets are focused on the Earth's ecology. Um, the, the next two, the fifth and sixth, that we'll see in, in uh, subsequent lessons uh, produce demonic destruction of humanity. Um, and the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet introduces the final outpouring of God's wrath with the, the bold judgments. Uh, so that's the structure of it. Um, and then we move on to verse 3. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. So we have this, the seven angels with the seven trumpets, and then we have another angel. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it, add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. So we saw uh, previously this altar of incense with the prayers of the saints in chapter 6. Uh, now we have an angel with a golden censer, and he's adding more prayers of the saints. Um, his attention is drawn to this seven, uh, to, from the seven angels to this other angel, and he's got an, uh, come, he comes to this altar of incense. Uh, it's the heavenly counterpart of the altar incense in the temple, which was also made with gold. We see that in Exodus chapter 30. And so the real one is the one in heaven. The imitation one is the one on earth, right? That's the way it always is. The things that we see on earth are shadows of the things in heaven. And so that altar of incense was there for the purpose of showing something that's in heaven, a shadow of something that's in heaven. The real one is the one that's in heaven that we see here in Revelation. And we can see that there was a foreshadowing of this, an altar of incense in um, in Exodus chapter 30. Um, it's the same golden incense altar seen by Isaiah. Isaiah sees that in his vision of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel sees this same altar of incense in Ezekiel chapter 10. And so here we see it again in Revelation. Um, the description of the altar as before the throne assures John's readers that the altar of incense was the, uh, is the, was the earthly counterpart to this heavenly incense altar. So it, John's drawing the connection. So anybody that is familiar with the Old Testament will immediately see that this is the altar of incense and oh yeah, we had one like that uh, on earth uh, before. And consistent with the identification of this with the altar of incense, the angel has a golden censer or fire pan just like the Old Testament priest did when they went to the altar of incense in the temple. Yes. Okay, uh, so the angel takes much incense, which symbolizes the multiplied prayers of God's people. Uh, we've seen that theme before in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Um, and it was given to him. Uh, that much incense was given to him. Um, and it doesn't say specifically here uh, who gave the angel the incense, but that verb, dididomi, uh, was, it translates was given, 
Um, in Revelation, over and over and over again, there's very specific cases where we know for sure it's God that's doing the giving. In this case, it's not clear, but in other places, this verb particularly is God giving something. In chapter 6, in chapter 7, in chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 13, chapter 16, 19, 20. So I think we can make the assumption that it's God that gave these uh, this incense to the angel. So the prayers come to God, God gives the prayers to the angel in this case. Uh, the the purpose of the angel being given the incense was so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints already rising from the altar. Uh, the angel added his incense to that already burning in the altar. The smoke of the incense, the prayers of the saints go up before God out of the angel's hands. These are undoubtedly the cries of believers in the great tribulation against their persecutors and all who blaspheme God and Christ at that time. And so we have the, the, this uh, altar of incense that has all the prayers of the saints. And then we have some additional prayers that are coming up most likely in this context from those who are being persecuted that are living through this uh, essentially the transition they've lived through the first six seals but now we're going into the trumpets and the bulls which will be uh, the really pouring out of wrath and the great tribulation so the prayers of the saints during this time are coming up to this altar of incense in heaven um, and they're praying against the, their persecutors in many cases and all who blaspheme God and Christ in that time. And so then we see uh, the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. So the he, he's got his prayers. He adds his prayers to the, to the altar of incense. And then he gets some fire from the altar and he throws it to the earth. That's what John sees in the vision. The angel throwing fire from the altar down to the earth. So uh, here's this angel. He's standing at the golden incense altar. He's uh, emptied his censer, and he, then he fills up his censer with coals or fire from the altar. And he flings it to the earth. <clears throat> Uh, then in an act which must have stunned John and the assembled multitude in heaven, he throws this fire on the earth. Uh, the results uh, are catastrophic. God's judgment falls upon the earth uh, out of the sky. And so this is a symbol of God's judgment falling on the earth. Um, usually, uh, And so the censer, of course, is linked with the prayers of God's people, and it becomes the Something that's linked with God, prayers of God's people becomes linked with uh, God's divine wrath being poured out on the earth. Um, and so it reveals God's judgment that will come, uh, and the symbolism seems to be come in response to the prayers. Remember we had before, how long, O Lord, how long will we wait until you're going to judge our oppressors? Well, now we really get the answer to that question. It's now. And, and the prayers of the saints before have been how long? And now we get the golden incense with the prayers filled up with fire and then unleashed on earth. And so this is really the answer to those prayers of how long? Well, it's now. Here it comes. Uh, this is the answer to those prayers. And we get kind of this direct connection, the prayers of the saints and the wrath of God. Uh, and we get, uh, of course, we have in James chapter 5, uh, the, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 
Um, and so we have righteous saints praying to God, how long do we have to wait until you're going to judge uh, these wicked people that are blaspheming and profaning your name? Um, and now we get the answer. Now it's going to be now. Uh, and there, and there followed peals of. So there's an immediate reaction, immediate effect of this uh, fire being thrown out to heaven from the from the altar. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. So everything's been silent. Remember, totally silent. Uh, nothing's been happened for 30 minutes. And then we get this uh, fire thrown down on heaven, and there's immediately lots of sound and fury uh, after this 30 minutes of silence. Peals of thunder, sounds, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And that evidently is the sign for these seven angels to bring the trumpets up. Uh, so the immediate effect of the firestorm of the wrath that bursts upon the earth are peals of thunder, sounds, flashes of lightning. And that's a direct contrast with the silence we had in verse 1. So imagine there's all this noise and then there's silence. And it goes on and on and on for 30 minutes. And now we have this huge crescendo of sound again. And imagine how much, um, how much more loud and jarring it is when you hear a loud sound in the midst of silence. You know, it, it, you're you're in the you're watching the scary movie and everything is really silent, and then boom! You know, the bad guy bumps out, jumps out, and makes a loud sound, um, and that's you know that's really jarring. So that's what's happening here: silence, 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 silence. Boom! Thunders and peals of flashes of lightning and earthquake. Questions, comments. Um, so no details are given about this earthquake. We don't know how big it was, but it's. But by the the way things are getting progressively worse, my guess is that it's at least as powerful as the one associated with the six seals, since things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And following the earthquake will come the horrors of the trumpet and bowl judgments. And by the end of those judgments, God's judgment of his creation will be complete. Uh, so we have specific language coming in our um, in some of our upcoming lessons that says that the wrath of God is complete once we get to the end of the uh, seven bowls. So this powerful earthquake was the signal for the seven angels who had their seven trumpets and they prepared themselves to sound them. So they'd been waiting. Uh, they had the seven trumpets. They're waiting in heaven. There's 30 minutes of silence. And now this earthquake is the... Uh, uh, the sign for them to prepare themselves to sound. Uh, and then we get the sounding of these seven trumpets. So starting in verse 7. Verse 7 says, The first sounded, and there came hail and fire, mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Uh, hail, uh, frequently associated in Scripture with divine judgment. We see that in Exodus. We see that in Job. We see that in Psalm. We see it in Isaiah 28, Haggai 2. So there's a consistent um, association of hail with judgment. And so is fire. Uh, Genesis 19, Psalm 11, Ezekiel 38. So hail and fire 
associated with judgment throughout the Old Testament, and now here we have it in Revelation as well. Uh, the combination of fire mixed with blood is reminiscent of Joel 2.30, which also describes the day of the Lord. Uh, the specific cause of the hail and fire thrown to the earth is not revealed, but from a scientific standpoint, we can surmise that a giant earthquake um, of the extent that must have been um, uh, most likely was. Uh, the earthquake in chapter 6 was a huge one. Uh, we can assume that this one was a huge one too, not just an earthquake that nobody would notice. Uh, likely trigger, trigger volcanic eruptions. So um, the same kind of tectonic activity uh, that produces earthquakes also can produce volcanic eruptions. And so if we had a giant earthquake that was uh, spectacular, uh, you would also expect volcanic eruptions and atmospheric disturbances caused by those eruptions could trigger violent thunderstorms and produce large hail. And so that's a, um, a scientific guess about where it may have come from. Or God could just decide to throw hailstones on the earth without any kind of precursor whatsoever. Um, he has the ability to do that. Uh, it doesn't have to be that all these things are uh, have to be explained in a naturalistic way. Uh, there are potential naturalistic explanations, but it does not have to be. Uh, there does not have to be a, a naturalistic explanation for God to do something with His creation. Yeah. So we've got hail and fire falling falling from heaven here. Um, and, it, and it beats up the earth. It, it really beats up the earth, this, this hail and fire. Um, and so the angel, there's, there's this massive outpouring of um, an earthquake and hail and fire, uh, and it's doing tremendous damage to the earth uh, is really the key. Uh, God is judging the earth and, and, and damaging the earth. Uh, a third of the earth was burned up, rendering the soil in which crops are cultivated unusable, and a third of the earth. A third of the trees are burned up, destroying fruit all over the earth. A green grass is burned up. Uh, so the fire, fire falling from the sky kindled raging infernos. It consumed one third of the earth's vegetation and forests. And so this is an ecological disaster um, wrought by God in his wrath and judgment of the earth. Um, catastrophic fires would be widespread and devastating if there's fire falling from the earth, uh, from the heavens, including destruction of crops, death of animals on a massive scale from the hail and the fire. Uh, loss of wood for construction, uh, destruction of watersheds because uh, plant life is an important part of uh, watersheds, where, where, where and how water flows around the earth and where it doesn't flow. Um, it's a fitting judgment for those who exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creator rather than the creature. I mean, think about the way um, people these days seem to almost worship the earth. Uh, and so God is going to destroy it before their very eyes. So uh, we've got this e ecological disaster. Uh, that's one trumpet. And so in verse 8, we get the second trumpet. Second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. 
And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea had, and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Uh, so this is uh, first trumpet, the land, destruction of the land. Second trumpet, destruction of the sea. Um, and so God's destroying the ecology of his creation. Land and then sea. Um, he created the sea to be a blessing to mankind, to provide food, to provide oxygen. We talked about oxygen. Uh, quite a bit of the oxygen that's generated is generated by phytoplankton and algae in the oceans. Um, and if you destroy a third of that, that's a big uh, blow to the ecology of the uh, of the world in terms of that oxygen cycle and the hydrology cycle, hydrologic cycle as well. The hydrologic cycle is dependent on evaporation out of the ocean um, and then uh, rainfall falling on the on the land. Uh, if you destroy a third of the sea, um, you you can have problems with that hydrologic cycle as well. Yes. Yeah, a third of all the creatures in the sea dead. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, and it's a big uh, disaster for food production as well. I mean, a lot of cultures, a lot of places around the world really depend on uh, f uh, food from the sea. And if a third of that gone, is that's a big deal. Just like a third of all the trees gone, uh, no matter where it is, uh, where it happens, a third of all those sea creatures being dead all at once is a huge blow to the food production for the for the earth. Um, people have repaid God's gracious provision of this ocean with ingratitude and idolatry, revering the sea as the supposed source of their remotest evolutionary ancestors. So the great, the latest story that's taught in evolutionary biology is that all life came up out of the sea. Uh, that God didn't create, but life just came by evolutionary processes up out of the sea. Um, so the sea is our creator, um, not the one, the living and true God. Um, and so, yeah, not the one who created the sea. And so, uh, and God won't have that. He won't have anything set up um, as as a as worthy of worship above him, and so he's going to destroy it. Um, so this massive object plunging through the sky uh, must have terrorized uh, observers on the earth. Uh, it's described. John describes it. So remember, John's seeing a vision, and he's doing the best he can to describe what he sees in a vision. Something that looks like a giant mountain fire uh, on fire, falling out of the sky into the ocean. And so, what would that? What could that be? It could be a giant meteorite or asteroid that falls. Because if, if a giant meteor that, that's going to make it all the way to the Earth, it's going to look like a giant fireball as it comes down. Any meteor that comes down and hits the Earth looks like a giant fireball. Um, now, the typical ones that hit the Earth are pretty small. Sometimes they do hit the Earth, uh, but this is a big one and it's going to hit the ocean. Um, so uh, most likely, I think this is John seeing a giant asteroid or meteorite that comes all the way down and impacts the ocean. Um, so it strikes somewhere in the world's oceans, huge explosive power. Um, there's three catastrophes that result from this. We have a third of the ocean becomes blood, a third of the creatures in the sea had life died. Um, 
It's impossible to say whether the blood was the miraculous deposit of actual blood or uh, it's the death of these billions of sea creatures and their blood uh, churning up the ocean or the reddish hue of the sun shining through the pall of smoke from the earthquake and the volcanic eruptions or it could just be blood. God made the earth turn into blood. I mean, that's what happened in the plagues of Egypt. And so there, is, there are actually a number of parallels in what's happening here with the plagues in Egypt. And one of the plagues of Egypt, God just made water turn into blood. And so that could very well be what happened here. God just, poof, water becomes blood. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's definitely, the, the, we don't, as I mentioned, there could be some naturalistic explanation where there was a red tint and it looked like blood. But that's not necessar necessary for um, uh, interpreting, this, this, interpreting this prophecy. It could be, so God, John saw what looked like the water turning into blood. And it, he described as the water turning into blood. It could be that God just turned that water into blood. Um, okay. Um, so the impact will also generate uh, huge tsunamis. So if, in fact, you can actually do a computer simulation of what would happen if a huge object went into the ocean, um, we have enough data to be able to, to do computer simulations of that. And it would really make big tsunamis. Uh, if a big asteroid uh, or meteor impacted the, uh, the sea, you would get gigantic tsunamis uh, around the world. Um, and that, if you had a tsunami like that, it would crush ports all over the earth and it would destroy ships all over the earth too. Um, and so that could very well be what happened here. Uh, John seeing what's going to happen is giant meteor hits the ocean, huge tsunamis swamp and sink ships all over the earth, destroy port facilities all over the earth, um, and destroy sea creatures uh, all over the earth, uh, all over the oceans, a third of them. Um, and so we see a third of the ships destroyed, uh, completely swamped, ports, uh, disruption of commerce and transportation causing economic chaos. So you've got a third of the trees are gone, a third of the, the ocean creatures are gone, a third of the ships are gone, uh, this is massive, uh, massive disruption of the global economy. Massive. And then we have the third angel. So that's two. We have the, the land and the sea destroyed. We have a third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the waters. Um, so this third judgment... Um, this this third judgment uh, in in Luke 21, uh, uh, Jesus said, "Terrors and great signs from heaven." Uh, this is a, a great star falls from heaven. This uh, the Greek word aster, um, translated star here. It can refer to any celestial body other than the sun and the moon. So there's a separate Greek word for the sun and a separate Greek word for the moon. But this word, uh, this Greek word means everything else that's in the heavens. So stars, but also things like comets and meteors and, and things like that. Um, possibly a comet or a meteor because of its fiery tail uh, disintegrated as it reaches Earth's atmosphere. So this one doesn't smash into the Earth. Uh, it disintegrates and the debris falls on rivers. 
so it falls on all over the earth, but uh, specifically it affects rivers. Uh, it's described as burning like a torch, uh, and that Greek word lampas, torch, uh, was used in ancient times to describe meteors and comets. And so that's why it's most likely that John's describing a meteor and comet because that was the language that this Greek uh, word refers to, burning like a torch, uh, meteors and comets. Um, and so the, the debris from whatever this thing was falls on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters and pollutes the fresh water around the globe. So we've had massive destruction of the earth, physical destruction of things on the earth. We've had the sea. Now we have the water supply being affected, uh, essentially poisoning the water supply. So uh, the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So those that survived the fire and hail and destruction of a third of the earth, those who survived the massive tsunamis and the sinking of all the ships, now they face death by poison water. Uh, it's getting bad. Things are getting bad. Uh, this, because of the deadly effects, the star, this whatever this thing was that fell out of the sky, is called Wormwood. The text does not reveal who will name it Wormwood. Uh, wormwood translates a Greek word, aspentheon. Uh, it's a word used only here in the New Testament, so nowhere else in the New Testament, just here. Uh, wormwood is a shrub whose leaves are used in the manufacture of the alcoholic beverage absinthe. Uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with that particular alcoholic beverage. Um, there were uh, there were rumors in the kind of the Middle Ages and through the 1800s that this was a poison liquor, and it was actually banned in many countries. Um, and but now it's sold in many countries, and it's 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 it was not it, it was kind of a uh, hysteria that this thing might be poison, especially because of the passages here in Revelation. Um, and so it was banned in a bunch of countries, but um, it's not poison. Uh, the, the liquor is not poison. You can drink absinthe uh, in many countries. However, the, the, the wormwood that's mentioned here in Revelation that's, that fell on these, in the fresh water system is poison. And it kills people. Uh, it's, wormwood is mentioned in the Old Testament uh, eight times. Uh, it's associated with bitterness, poisons, uh, poison, and death. Uh, it's in Deuteronomy 29, Proverbs 5, Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah 23, Lamentations 3, Amos 5, and Amos 6. In three of those uses, wormwood is connected with poisoned water, specifically with poisoned water. Um, and so that's the, that's the key here. Uh, this is something that poisons fresh water. In Jeremiah 9, for example, God says of rebellious Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. Um, and so this is, uh, there's lots of references to the Old Testament, n n n not always specific references like quotes, but, but things that are symbols that have been used in the Old Testament always appear here in this book of Revelation. And this is another one of those. Uh, whatever the poison represented by the name Wormwood is, it is lethal since a third of the fresh waters became poisonous with this wormwood. So uh, we have this, uh, these um, cascading disasters on the land, on the sea, and now we got fresh water. It's being poisoned and many people die 
Uh, so whoever's left, many people are dying from the poison water. Um, no human deaths specifically were mentioned in the first two trumpets, although undoubtedly there was a severe human toll. Um, but the third judgment, John records that many men died from the waters uh, that were made bitter. Uh, rivers will run with deadly poison, wells will become springs of death, lakes and reservoirs will be filled with toxic water. So it's getting, I mean, worse and worse and worse and worse, and of course we're going to find out at the end of chapter 8 that, no, this is only beginning, it's going to get even worse. So people who were able to survive for a time the destruction of food supplies caused by the first two trumpets living off stored provisions, uh, but people cannot long survive without fresh water. Uh, the loss of a significant portion of the world's fresh water supply will cause widespread death. So a third of the fresh water, that's a lot. A third of the fresh water poison, that's a huge, that's huge. Um, that a third of the fresh water supply is made bitter or poison. Um, and then we have the fourth angel. So starting in verse 12, the fourth angel sounded, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Um, and so we've got uh, the sea and the land and the sea and the fresh water, and now we've got the heavens. Uh, divine judgment everywhere. Um, so still reeling from the effects of the ecological judgments, people are desperately seeking for answers. No doubt there will be seminars and conferences and emergency sessions of the United Nations. Uh, just think about it. People are seeing all this happen. What do we do? We're gonna, well, let's have a conference. Um, <clears throat> scientists are discussing what can we do. Desperately, futilely seeking to cope with the damage. Uh, what can we do about these ecological disasters? What can we do about the fact that all these trees are dead and all these animals are dead from the hail and fire and all the sea creatures are dead and the water's all poison? Uh, what do we do? Um, and in the midst of all that, we get a, a third of the moon, a third of the stars struck, and a third of the sun. Um, we're struck, pleso. Um, is the verb from which the noun plague is, is derived. And so this is, uh, heavenly bodies are hit with a plague from God. That's the picture, the word picture here. A plague from God on the heavenly bodies. Um, and so what exactly does it mean that a third of them are darkened? Um, it's a little bit easier to imagine what a third of the stars being darkened, but what does it mean that a third of the sun and a third of the moon is darkened? I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I think it's bad. Yeah, so that could be it, that, that you, you've, uh, a third of the intensity of the sunlight is not reaching the earth. It could be that uh, with, a, with a canopy of smoke and, and things like that in the earth. Could, that could be. Um, but there's no specification of exactly what that is. And, and just, to just remember, John seeing a vision, he's doing the very best he can to describe something that's indescribable. Um, and then, so then we get this final thing. We look up and we see, John looks up and he sees an eagle, something that looks like an eagle, flying in the mid-heaven, so way up there in the sky. And he's saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> because the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels, he didn't say you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, he says that because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. 
So, in other words, this is terrible. I mean, everything's, it's a disaster of biblical proportions. Um, and, but it's going to get worse, is, is the, the final thing here we see. Um, so, um, we see uh, flying in mid-heaven, the bird would be of such a height, uh, like this, the midday sun visible to all. That's, that's the picture that John's seeing here, is that this is uh, as a voice crying out that everybody can hear that, hey, it's going to get much worse. These four trumpets are the beginning of this pouring out of the massive wrath of God, but it's going to get worse. Uh, Woe is used throughout Scripture to express judgment and destruction and condemnation uh, in many, many places in Scripture. Um, And it's going to fall, this voice of the eagle says it's going to fall on those who dwell on the earth, and that's a phrase that we've seen over and over again in Revelation, that it's a technical term for those who reject the gospel. Uh, There's going to be worse coming for them. Um, And so later in Revelation we see um, that the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands. So we're going to see that in the next chapter, chapter 9. Unbelievable. Um, They're not going to repent. Uh, They will be destroyed because they failed to heed the warning of God addresses to all sinners. Uh, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrew 3. Okay. Um, Any questions? Yes. So we saw that in the sixth seal, actually. In the sixth seal, it started to become clear to people on earth that God was judging and they were hiding from him. They were, they were praying to the mountain to fall on them. Um, but there was a, a, a kind of a, a budding understanding that started in the sixth seal. Yeah. Yep. Any others? All right, let me close this with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and mercy and grace to us. Um, we know that you have... Uh, withheld judgment. Uh, we see in Second Peter, uh, uh, scoffers saying, where is this coming? Um, and, and we know that it's only because of your mercy uh, that you haven't already poured out this kind of judgment on the earth. Uh, we thank you for that mercy. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that uh, this kind of warning that we see in the book of Revelation would be something that would motivate us as followers of Christ to, to, to earnestly seek to, uh, to, uh, to, to preach the gospel, to spread the gospel to those that, especially to those that we know are, are friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members who are unbelievers. Uh, that, that this kind of judgment is coming and we can see it and they can't see it. And we pray, Lord, that that would give us motivation uh, to, uh, to be about the work of spreading Uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the great love that it took to send Jesus to that cross to die for the sins of the world. Uh, We pray, Lord, that uh, as we go to the corporate worship, that um, the the things that we do now, the uh, the meditations of our hearts, the words of our lips, the the songs and hymns and spiritual songs that we sing uh, will be acceptable in your sight pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.